Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 39, Beware the Weeping Angel. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 4 of Buffy, Beauty and the Beasts, and series 3, episode 10 of Doctor Who, Blink. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so Buffy goes first. Mm. Beauty and Beasts, and uh, we have... And Beasts. I said Beauty and the Beasts, I think. But anyway. Yeah, no, it's just Beasts. Well, that's actually kind of interesting. Like, you know, the way they're playing with that, you know, title a little Mm. bit. They take away... The, def- the definite article from... Yeah. Because it's not the beast, it's beasts, plural. Mm-hmm. Because this whole idea of... It's not one monster, it's the monster which is common to men, at least, or possibly humanity in general. Mm. Um, and it's kind of interesting that beasts is plural, but beauty isn't. Even though... No, but it's sort of collective or all-encompassing, right? And, it's it's more of like the platonic I, ideal. That's exactly what I have in my notes. Is <laughs> like, maybe beauty isn't... It's not referring to Buffy or to Debbie or to one particular mm-hmm. girl. It's more... It, the, plat- the platonic ideal is exactly what I was thinking. Like this sort of... Um, idealized form which we put on a pedestal and think of as, Mm -hmm. you know, as what does beauty represent, um, which is singular, but the beasts are many and plural, which Mm. is kind of interesting. And, and and varied. Yes. Yes, definitely. So we get, um, you know, Pete and Oz and Angel in this episode, all kind of forming these different aspects of, you know, men who have, you know, beastly alter egos of Mm -hmm. varying kinds. And they're different. They're all different from each other. And because they're different people, they all react to their own inner monster in different ways. Mm. Um, So uh, that's a pretty interesting theme. It's kind of like a sequel to the, the Oz story last season. You know, because that's kind of the same sorts of themes that that episode was playing with was, um, you know, the, the wildness in men and then the wildness inside Oz, who on the surface looks like the least wild character, you know, he's Mm -hmm. the most laid back, the most sort of seemingly, um, calm and cool and laconic and everything. Um, but so then to have him. And together, like he kind of knows himself, right? He's yeah, 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 right. But then he has this other side, which is dangerous and which he doesn't have control over, and which is you know, so that serving as kind of a metaphor for the fact that everybody has that side to them, even the most cool and collected. Um, so you know, we get a continuation of that because this is another sort of Oz centric. Um, but it's not as Oz-centric as the last one. You mm-hmm. know, it's not all about Oz. It's also about contrasting him with Pete and with Angel, I mm-hmm. think. Um, yeah. So, 
And and this is something that I wasn't thinking of until actually just now. But I would also say contrasting him with Giles. Because the beasts that we're talking about, I mean, well, I was going to say they're all young, but of course, Angel isn't exactly young. But right. but he looks young, right? He's still young, he's young seeming. Yeah, yeah. He, he 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 still sort of fits better in the category with Oz and Pete than with Giles, right? Yes. So, yes. Um, yeah. Just sort of thinking, like. I, I don't know how that changes the discussion at all, but we don't, I mean, we, ha- and, and we have seen that Giles does have a beastly side. So maybe that's yeah. part of it that we've already sort of seen him, you know, as Ripper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's not something we need to explore here, but that wasn't his Ripperness wasn't in response to women in the way that, we see Oz and Pete and Angel all in their relationships. Right. With, right. Although um, you, you say that and that's true. Although even just the fact that you said that made me think, well, Giles as Ripper doesn't, that's not in reaction to rip, to women, but the name, the Ripper makes me think of Jack the Ripper. Uh, and that was yeah. definitely related to, you know, like a killer who stalked, women in this street. Yeah, it, you sure. Know, so the name sort of invokes that, even though that that's not Giles' backstory. You know, yeah, we no and we don't actually that... know why Giles has that nickname at this point. Sure, so, you know, but you know. I think even that, the fact that that's the name sort of mm-hmm. invokes that a little bit. Right, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's very possible that, that there's a direct connection even more than yeah. than the implied one. Um, anyway, so I... I I don't mean to derail before we even get on the rail, but um, that that was just something I was sort of thinking of too. Like I, when you were saying that we're con- you know Oz is sort of contrasted with Pete and Angel, I would say all three of them as beasts are also sort of contrasted with Giles in this episode, especially when yeah. um, like right at the end of our last discussion, you were talking about Giles and sort of his support of Buffy um, mm-hmm. and and his very unbeast like you know support there it's like i i i guess we're sort of meant to see him as the even keel here among the 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 men who are um otherwise you know the yeah. other three are are not so even right we we sort of see multiple sides of each one of them um not sure where xander fits in all of that though right right um yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we talked about we talked about that with Xander with um, uh, oh, the pack and how much of mm. his behavior in that was magically influenced and how much of it was a calling forth of sort of instincts mm. that he sort of had. So we've had that question with Xander before too. Sure. I think that's kind of a question that the show is interested in sure like actually as i think about it all of the main male characters have like a double-sided personality like you know you get the kind of doppelganger you know angel versus angelus oz versus the werewolf giles versus ripper you know and i mean xander doesn't have anything as consistent as that yet but we've even you know, because of things like the pack, we've questioned that, you know, whether he does yeah. have aspects like that. And I think as the body, he knows a little <laughs> bit about 
I think he knows a little bit about, uh, you know, what's this line from The Call of the Wild, the parts of his nature that are deeper than he. I think Xander knows a little bit about that. Mm. You know, that Xander is someone who is ruled by passion and by, you know, uh, instinct and desire. Um, so... Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I don't know. You're kind of smiling like I, maybe I'm 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 foreshadowing things that haven't even happened yet or something. But I, I, I think that I this is a distinct meme in the Buffy show with the certainly with the male characters. If not, I mean, we could probably come up with some female ones too. But. Yeah, I, I won't I won't say yeah or nay. I mean, I think I think. You've already identified that there is that among the male characters, so it would be silly to not um, silly to deny. You, you, yeah. you know, yeah. To, I was going to say to not acknowledge it, but deny is a shorter word and easier way to say that. So um, the 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 talking about Xander and doppelgangers, yes, had me looking down the road, but I don't want to uh, say anything about spoilers. So let's okay. let's move beyond that and let's start talking about. Um, perhaps we'll begin with Oz. Uh, getting more into the beastly side of things. Um, Right. So, Well, I think what what is interesting about Oz, and again, we talked about how just because he seems cool and collected doesn't mean that he doesn't have the same things going on inside that everyone does. So we've definitely established that, that he's not a totally dispassionate, person no but but i think what's interesting about oz is the way that because of the circumstances of you know having the 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 disease of you know lycanthropy or whatever like that it's more of an affliction than anything else Mm. he seems what kind of distinguishes him is his own uh kind of awareness of that side of himself and his the way the fact that he goes out of his way to deny it and control it you know that he's you know the one who you know locks himself in the cage when he knows he's Mm. going to transform and he tells willow to get away and you know you get that sense of it's something he can't control that disgusts him and so he would you know he goes through all these precautions to make sure that the people around him are safe and you know uh you know we don't necessarily see the other characters doing that i mean they may not you don't get the sense that you know certainly giles and angel don't like the fact that they do some of the things that they do but you also don't get that sense of them going to great lengths to you know control themselves in the same way Mm. and i mean the circumstances are different but um, I think that makes Oz kind of interesting. The way that he has these same monstrous, you know, things that he can't control, but he's actively controlling them. He's finding ways to, you know, yeah, make himself safe. There is so. a sort of acceptance there, right? And it's and it does kind of go with his personality. The the roll with the punches, you know, just kind of all right, see what happens and. And, yeah. and and move forward um and and the level to which he's able to to control um like I, i'm thinking there there's a couple of um 
points I wanted to, to talk about. So one, I'm thinking of, you know, when he when he wants to get up and just leave, uh, you know, the discussion because, you know, he's angry and people think that he's, uh, you know, what does he say? He's like, oh, yes, get a Slayer to watch me. That's not overreacting. Yeah. And then, like, yeah. he's getting ready to storm out and Willow stops him. And so... You know, in contrast, of course, to someone like um, Pete, if, you know, his girlfriend tried to stop him, he would turn around with a yeah. fist, right? Oz yeah. just yeah. sort of listens to what Willow says and acknowledges that even as much as he wants to storm out at the moment and do the manly thing and be alone, he yeah. he can't. Because, like you said, he is he is aware. He's He knows not only what his condition will do, um, but what the right thing is in that moment to sort of avoid hurting other people. And I find it interesting. And it it seemed to me that the two times we really see like a full emotion from Oz in this episode, because, you know, he's always kind of just got that blase devil may care Mm -hmm. attitude. There's, there's two points um, where it seems to me that we see real expressions of emotion from him, not, you know, over whatever, but um, they're both related to Jeff, the kid who was killed. The first mm-hmm. one is when he finds out and he, he seems actively dismayed, you know, yeah. I knew him, you know, he says, I, I knew that he was, you know, I knew who he was. I, I knew the guy. And then yeah. later when he finds out that he's not the one who killed Jeff. Yeah. Or, um, no, it's not they find it's it's that he's not the one who killed Platt because it's during the right, daytime. It was during the day. And right. and so he can't possibly be the killer. And that's um he's he's legitimately relieved. Um and not just because he's not a killer, but you know, I think also he's feeling some sort of empathy for the people who were killed at that point. So Yeah. Like it's it's interesting because both of those are sort of caused um, not cause, but like results, I think of, of the thing that he can't control. Right. It's, yeah. he has so much control and awareness that he becomes this, you know, the part where he becomes dismayed and then later has the opportunity to be relieved is when he finds out that it wasn't, you know, either was or wasn't the thing, um, you know, which he has no control over. And so it's, yeah a treatable disease. If lycanthropy is a disease, it's treatable. It's manageable. You know, that sort of thing they say you can't cure it. He won't ever not be a werewolf, um, you know, for a couple nights out of each month, but he, you know, he at least can do the responsible thing, the right thing to manage it and, and, and prevent from hurting people. So, um, one other aspect that I guess I would just say too is, is, there's the idea of um, that it wasn't his choice, right? I mean, we know that he was bit yeah. <laughs> by his cousin, no less. Yes. But uh, yeah. <laughs> how long has that been going on? Uh, <laughs> but um, contrast that with, I would say, Pete and Angel both. Yeah, We do get some discussion, which is interesting, in, in season two about, uh, especially right at the end, or at the beginning of season three, it maybe it, I can't even remember exactly when it is, but there is some sort of like, well, Angel's not 
it's not really Angel's fault, right? It's an it's Angelus mm-hmm. who's doing all the stuff. But right. but then we did see in becoming part one that right. that right. there was active choice with Liam yeah. before he was Angelus yeah. um, to follow Dada. So like so there's this idea of choice, uh, you know, that sort of brings that in. And then clearly with Pete, Pete actively yeah. sought out you know these whether he knew what was going to happen to him. Yeah, um, is kind of beside the point. He did choose the road that he's on. Um, yeah. And and so it's interesting to me that 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 there's that element um, with Oz is sort of taken away. He didn't. He he had even less choice than perhaps Angel or Angelus, um, you know, had, um, and certainly has less choice than than Pete at this point. So yeah, um, yeah. I think I think that and that is indicative of his character, and that's why. He is the one of the three to sort of take these precautions and to act so sort of vigilantly, you know, to protect other people, you know. And in a sense, he's the least responsible, but he's the one who will go out of his way to, you know, lock himself up, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Even though he's, you know, far less culpable than Pete, for example. Um, And that is kind of like... I think that just goes along with the whole idea of the werewolf versus something like the vampire or, you know, with Pete, Willow makes an allusion to Jekyll and Hyde that, you know, with, with the potions or with the drinking of the blood, there is that element of, even if you're not, you know, completely villainous, there is some aspect of choice and responsibility. Whereas, Mm -hmm as the werewolf legend has come down, it's grown to be, I mean, there are versions where it is an active choice, but the, the kind of classic werewolf that we know is a bite. It is an affliction. It's not Mm -hmm. something. So you do get these characters who like, I'm thinking of Lupin in the Harry Potter series that he's exactly like Oz. He's, you know, his beastliness is contrasted by the fact that he, is when he's human, he's the gentlest character, that he's the one who least wants to hurt anybody and goes out of his way to avoid it. So I think the idea of them, like, I think those characters sort of lend themselves to the werewolf as a monster because it's something they can't help and it's something that was inflicted on them. So it kind of makes sense that he would be that way mm-hmm. um so i like that it's it's good i think that makes sense for oz too because again he is such a sort of you know gentle and laid-back character you know you can't see oz willingly you know getting into any fights or any you know sort of violent you know altercations you know unless like here he's defending himself so um, right well yeah and we saw him with the other scoobies sort of fighting vampires and stuff but yeah, not yeah yeah but but Oz is not in a, he's the opposite of an aggressive right you know what's the opposite of of aggressive and that's Oz you know like yeah, yeah. so that's kind of an interesting it makes for an interesting sort of conflicted monster you know who mm-hmm. you know is sort of hating their own monstrousness but also acknowledging that it's part of them right and you know? and doing right not he's not ignoring it yeah um 
you know, to just let it, he's not saying, well, you know, I know that three nights out of the month I'd become a monster and what may be, may be during those three nights, but the rest of the yeah. time I'm a good guy. Yeah. He's actively, right. you know, trying to, to minimize or mitigate. Right. And, and, um, and, and like you say, feeling bad about it when things happen, you know, now of course it, it's horrible to think that he might have killed Jeff, but in a sense, it's not like if he had, it's not like Oz wanted that to happen. It's not like, Right. He had any control over it, but he'll absolutely feel guilty about it and feel responsible for it mm-hmm. because even though he can't control it, he still assumes the responsibility of what he does, mm. um, even when he's sort of transformed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, and we should continue looking at that if and when we see Oz as a vamp or a vampire as a werewolf. <laughs> Again, um, yeah. so with with the other two, with Pete and with Angel. Yeah. Um, well, actually, sorry. Before we move on, I think because the relationship aspect is such an important part of this, right? It's not just yeah. about the men and and their beastliness, but it's also then how how does that affect their partners? Um, right. And how do their partners affect them? Either actually or in the way that they perceive. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we already sort of talked about Willow a little bit with Oz, but but I think it just to sort of explicitly state, like there's, I think one of the interesting things there is that both, th- they each have a mutual respect for the other um, yeah. in that way. So Willow is there reading to him and supporting mm-hmm. him while he's in his beast mode and and doing that but also um he stops and listens to her and yeah. and and acknowledges that as angry as he is at that moment um he needs to do something to prevent you know uh potential bad so um and doesn't do so in an angry way towards her or you know anything like that um which is very different <laughs> Yeah. Then Pete and Debbie. Um, yes. You know, that's, uh, well, I don't know. Go, so Pete and Debbie, what are your thoughts Pete on and Pete Debbie. and Debbie? Yikes is my thought on Pete and Debbie. Um, yeah, I mean, so going on from Oz to Pete is natural because Pete is everything that Oz isn't. You know, that he's someone who chooses and indulges his own beastliness Mm -hmm. and even manufactures it in a sense i mean there's there's normal boyfriend abusiveness but but he brews uh you know a formula as he says you know a a potion i guess to sort of enhance it's kind of like a hulk kind of thing like it sort of well and they even explicitly mentioned uh dr jekyll and mr hyde you know at the end dr jekyll and mr hyde yeah and i and i think it it has a lot it's very resonant of alcoholism too. I mean, of mm. the idea of Debbie going, oh, and that's pouring, interesting. Pouring the formulas down the drain, you know, right. like it seems like I'm sure a few battered wives have done that with the bottles while they're, you know, like it just seems like right. That's kind of a little bit of what they're going for there. Mm. Um, and she's a total enabler, you know, sure. in that way that you know the whole. I mean. 
it's it's not you know you don't want to get into victim blaming it's not you know that that absolves him of anything but you know he gives himself permission to absolutely you know abuse her in every and any way and then when it's done she comforts him you know yeah. that he gets to apologize and say you know I can't control it you shouldn't make me angry because I lose control. And for him, it's not like Oz where, you know, I, I lose control. So what I need to do is control myself more tightly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, for him, it's, well, I lose control. I'm not responsible for what I do. You right. know, if you make me mad, I won't be held accountable for what I do to you. So basically it's your fault. Right, um, right. It's, and then she holds and that's it, him... And comforts him yeah. and says it's okay and don't worry about it. And so they're in a total codependent mess. And <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I think that is the interesting thing, right? Is is the it, it's not only that you know um, I can't control what I do when I'm mad, but it's that you made me mad and yeah. and 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 you it's your fault that I was even this way. And he even goes so far back to say, you're the reason I even started developing the potion to begin right, with, because you right. were going to leave me and I wasn't yeah. man enough for you. And, you know, yeah. like, like I, you know, it's like just, just way back, you know, to like all these little things. Like he, it's not even that he takes uh, no responsibility for what he does when he's angry, but he takes no responsibility for yeah. even, the stuff that led him to becoming angry, right, you right. know, he's or, not even angry. or, or the state right. that he's in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not even his fault. It's to, to be angry in the first yeah, place. It's not, it's not even, um, like you mentioned victim blaming it. it, it it's like Eve blaming, you know, it's like, you know, right. what, Eve is the result of sin in the world kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. going that far back to, 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 to that whole idea. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, did, so did you see, uh, we get a bit of a fake out in yeah, here, Yeah, did right? I see them coming? Yeah. I, like, I or, or I guess, and I'm kind of, I'm uh, kind of embarrassed that I didn't, because on second watch, it's like, it should be obvious, like, okay, here are the supporting characters who we've never met before, and suddenly they're really prominent, I should be looking for them to be, yeah. like, but... Darn it, they get me every time. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I didn't I didn't really see them coming. Right. I think I, I bought the the angel uh fake out hook line and sinker, mm. I think. Mm. Oh right, because we see him sort of running through the woods. Because it, it's kind of a double fake out. Like first you think it's odd, and then you Monty. think, no, it's Angel. And then really it's Pete, you yeah. know, so Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a right, there's a little a couple spots there and and they don't like you see them once right in the beginning and then you see them again like in the lunchroom like 20 yeah. minutes later <laughs> like right. into the episode and it's not yeah. till like the last 15 minutes of the episode that you really start to understand right, right. what their role is um yeah so um and i mean i, I think uh well do you have any because i'm kind of ready to transition from them. Because I actually think that their role isn't even so much about them. I think right. their role in this episode is really, I, I would call it a cautionary tale mm. to 
to set up, I assume to set up what is coming for Buffy and Angel because especially that last scene where <laughs> Angel uh, transform his face transforms back to human, you know, mm. and we've seen Pete do that just recently, and he looks at Buffy and he gets all weepy and he goes and hugs <laughs> and her and the music starts and the music starts and you want to go oh you know the, but then you see Pete and Debbie's dead bodies laying there yeah. and you have to think okay now Buffy it would be really easy for you to comfort Angel in this moment but we've just been judging Debbie for doing that very thing so it makes you hesitate before you root for the couple mm. because I think I think Pete and Debbie are there to make you question to what extent Buffy might be playing the Debbie to Angel's Pete you know like is is Buffy going to forgive things which shouldn't be forgiven or indulge things which shouldn't be forgiven and what is she willing to overlook you know for somebody that she loves. And I mean, I think Debbie clearly, in her own way, loves Pete, you know? And, you know, when you think, you hear her say things like, um, you know, she can't, she can't tell on him. She can't give him up because they'd take him away. They'd lock him up. I can't do that to him. That's pretty much what Buffy's worried about is, I can't tell Giles and Willow, they're gonna send him back to the demon dimension. You know, or somebody's going to stake him. Or at least or, not let me see him or what, yeah, yeah something. or whatever. Right, that they're right. going to, I can't tell they're going to take him away. Um, and so we might be inclined to agree with her, but I think Debbie and Pete are there to make you question that and to like give you pause. And yeah. I think Buffy knows that because she's not quite sure at the end how much to reciprocate you know that when he hugs her she kind of doesn't fully hug him back you know hmm. so i think that's really i think that's all a big setup for whatever's next in their relationship is what direction is buffy gonna take is yeah. she is she going to be the enabler and the the battered girl who sort of you know surrenders herself to a destructive relationship or is she gonna take a different route well and i, would... and, I and i don't mean to say that pete and angel are equals because that's no. not that's not true i don't mean to suggest that but i think the parallels are there enough that i think we're meant to read it that way and yeah especially when you see them with pete and debbie lying just feet away i think definitely we're meant to see that as a warning that, you know, this is where things could go if, mm. if they're not careful. So before we move on to Buffy and Angel, though. Okay. <laughs> um, even though I just did. <laughs> even though you kind of just did. Because you, yeah. you asked me, do you have anything about Pete and Debbie and before we I go on to Buffy and Angel? And then 10 minutes later. No. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. No, that's fine because I think that's all good stuff. And, and, and I guess the only – so 
a well, a couple things. Um, with with Pete, um, of course, we haven't really seen the progression, right? Because he's he's already like to this point, so we yeah. haven't seen sort of his months or however long it took him to kind of create all this stuff and get to this point. But um, clearly it seems like to me that, that this was not like an overnight thing. Right. So it's, I guess the only thing I want to sort of point out there is that it's, you know, not like a one. So with Liam slash Angelus slash angel, (laughs) um, you know, it's one time bad decision affects you the rest of the life of your life with Pete. It's like, and maybe that's where the the alcoholism uh, thing, you know, that you mentioned the the, the sort of analogy there comes into play because it's mm-hmm. it's a repeated mm-hmm. thing, um, yeah. and presumably would be something that again, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever people say, you know, you're always an alcoholic, you mm-hmm. just maybe haven't taken a drink in a while, so right. you know, like even if Pete somehow had been able to fight against his urges, like you don't get the sense that he ever would have really gotten to the state where like Oz is and that it would have always sort of been that constant struggle. Um, and that, um, yeah. And, and it's so sort of the flip side for Debbie is that whole scene in the locker room Mm -hmm. with Buffy and angel. And, and especially that, when Buffy's leaving there and, and Willow sort of looks up and says, I think we broke her. Yeah. Um, no, I think she's, you know, was broken long before this. And, and the question is there, who broke her? Because like, right. All right. You know, we don't buy that. Everything Pete does is Debbie's fault, of course, mm-hmm. but there's, there is, like you said, that element of enabling. Like, yeah. you know, there is that fine line between blaming the victim and, and acknowledging that she did have a part in it, whatever it was. So did Pete break her? Did she allow herself to be broken? Like, mm-hmm. you know, where is sort of that? And I don't know that we can answer that because we didn't see the whole progression. But, like, I think yeah. I think sort of along the lines of what you're saying as a cautionary tale – there's something there was a point where they were not like this and then there mm-hmm. was a point where they were like this <laughs> and yes. somewhere between those two points yeah you know maybe it's not a clear line maybe it's a, a sorites paradox but it's there's there's something that happened along the way to make debbie broken and pete broken cuz i think mm-hmm. he's just as broken as she is just in different sure. ways yeah. um and and Anyway, I don't want to belabor all of that, but I guess I, that's just sort of I wanted to make sure we we talked a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think as much as the couple stands as a warning, in particular Debbie stands as a warning for Buffy. You know that it it it's not her fault in the way that it, it's she doesn't deserve the blame in the way that Pete says she deserves the blame in the sense that she provokes him or she deserves it or she's responsible for it none of that is deserved but there is the element of you know that she is her own worst enemy you know that she uh you know continually puts herself 
in situations which are unhealthy for her. You know, that she doesn't get out of a relationship which is, you know, violent and damaging, you know, physically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. So, um, in that sense, there is shared responsibility. You know, that she, not that she's responsible for Pete's behavior, but she is, in some sense, you know, responsible for her own, you know, uh, I don't know. Well, but, well, um, we get that we get that clue right at the beginning before we even know who Pete and Debbie really are. Um, yeah. We get the clue when when Buffy mentions she's going to see Platt, mm-hmm. and and Debbie says, "Oh, I have to see him too." My teacher says I have yeah. success issues. Like, yeah, this yeah. is clearly a success issue. Like, yes, it, right, it, right. And, and so far as you seem to not be able to figure out how to get it, um, yes, or yeah, or be she, comfortable were, with it. And, and she, I think the comfortable with it is that she's someone who's going to sabotage her own yeah. success. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that and that we've seen Buffy and Platt, and we know that Platt is a good guy. So the fact that she doesn't like the things he says is a clue, you know, because this is someone who, you know, is a pretty level-headed and down-to-earth. This isn't like a quack. This is someone who would give her a listening ear and would try to give her good advice. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she does, you know, resist the things that he's telling her, I think is meant as kind of a, a sort of a clue as to the fact that she might be going through some, I mean, obviously if they have her in therapy, she's going through something, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Yes. Anyway, on to Angel and Buffy, or Buffy Angel and, and Buffy. Angel. Um, so, I mean, I think I said a lot of. Yeah. I mean, I think this what? is what this is what Buffy's going to have to deal with is, you know. Yeah. Okay, Angel's back, and <laughs> my boyfriend's back, and now you're in trouble. Back? <laughs> yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Hey la, hey la. On, on that note. <laughs> What is your thought about Angel being the one to sort of come in in the last minute and rescue Buffy in that well, moment? Um, what I think is that, um, I think my, my guess, and this is just speculation, is that this is going to have something to do with what Giles was talking about, with it would take someone of, you know, strength of will and character to survive the demon dimension and retain any sense of self is what he says. And mostly what we see is angel with no sense of self. You know, he doesn't know himself. He doesn't know Buffy. He doesn't speak. He's all animal for most of the episode. Um, and then in the end, the fact that he, you know, defends Buffy, it seems to me, he deliberately protects her from Pete. And then, his face goes back to human and he says her name and he seems to have a sense of self again. So the fact that he comes in at the last minute seems like an indicator of that. Like on some level he remembers Buffy and remembers that he likes her and wants to protect her. Um, And Mm. that seems to be confirmed at the end when he says her name. So... So that didn't bother me. It didn't seem like, like 
any sort of deus ex machina or anything like that because it seems like okay what we're seeing is angel remembering after he's been you know wherever he was for hundreds of years or whatever so that was my reading of it so i think when it comes back okay. next week we're gonna see angel knowing who he is and you know and remembering at least some things if not everything right right yeah just curious about because you can confirm any of that or if you have a different reading of it i you know i remember watching the the first time um just sort of thinking it was a little strange that uh you know this given the amount of of this um story being about relationships between men and women and the mm. beast and that i guess i would have thought more that uh buffy would have been the one to sort of come back and 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 give the good old beat down um right. does especially it, does, it under, does it undercut the feminism a little bit <laughs> well i i don't know and that's like i i don't know that it necessarily does I don't yeah. I don't think I want to say that it does, but I, I guess that's sort of why I wanted your thoughts on it, because I I guess, honestly, I'm just not sure <laughs> um, there yeah. is it, it. Well, and especially given Buffy's uh, little, y- you know, I don't know if even speech is the right word. It's too short, it, you know, to Debbie in, in the locker room, um, you know, what what's the best way to cut, you know, uh, handle getting a shiner is to not get hit in the first place and yeah and that's all well and good and i you know especially for buffy is doable but um you know it there is sort of that that point that in general men are physically stronger than women um just i mean i yes there are many women who could probably beat me up so i don't mean (laughs) to say that as like uh you know machismo or anything what you you know that is just sort of a biological uh facet of our life so um yeah you you know the there is that so i i guess i don't know and especially given that we're not entirely sure that um angel is is in in completely control or in his right mind or whatever to like what you were saying to giles's point about um you know, we don't know, is he redeemable or not? Right. Um, interesting, too, that the redeemability, um, and I feel like I'm going further afield from our discussion here, but the redeemability mm-hmm. is based on his torture, right? It's not based on right. what he did as Angelus. Um, that, that is the question of whether he's redeemable or not. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I could see a I could see a reading of it which says which calls foul on Angel saving Buffy, but I don't feel that way because I never got this. I think it would be that way if you ever got the sense that Buffy needed Angel to save her. I don't really feel like I feel like she could have won that fight. Like if she and Pete had kept at it, mm. I feel reasonably confident that Buffy would have won. I don't know that she was a damsel who needed Angel to run in and save her at the last minute. I think it's more about he bursts in, sees that she 
got knocked over, which happens. She gets knocked over all the time. Sure. Um, and some instinct in him, which seems to retain a sense of self, you know, jumps in to her defense. And it's more about showing us that Angel is coming back to himself mm. more so than because the wild snarling angel with you know running through the woods would never have defended Buffy he would have fought Buffy he didn't know Buffy but at the end we're seeing him start to remember her mm. um and remember that she is someone who he should be defending so I think it's more a pointer to that and I never really got the sense that it was saying that Oh, if Angel wasn't there, you know, that would have he been would, it for right, Buffy. Right. I think yeah. she she would have won. It's just because he happened to be there and he jumped in. Um so I don't actually think it does okay. undercut the message. Um and I think again it, it even complicates it more because it points again to okay, Buffy, are you gonna be like Debbie? Are you going to, you know, you know, go right back to how it was with Angel because he's this, you know, guy that you love who fights battles for you and rescues you and is the hero and he loves you. But so because of all that, you're going to ignore the fact that he's also this monster, you know. And so I think that's even there to feed into that idea of well, and and also knowing much, yeah. Right, because right, cause we, we get her discussion with Platt about, and he knows right off, right? Like, she says, oh, he was my first. I, I loved him. And then he changed. Yeah. Right? Which is, like, a description of of Debbie and Pete, too. You sure, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and Willow and Oz, too. And Willow and Oz. And so it's, um, the question is, knowing that that will happen, knowing now what the trigger is. Yes. For him losing his soul, yeah. uh, For Angel losing his soul, like you said, like yeah, can she go back to that, or is it like is she gonna allow herself to be trapped into a pattern like Debbie was, and does it become a spiraling pattern, or is there a way to break that? And if so, what is it, and and how does that happen? And I think that's what that ending of the episode is: is to pose that question, is to say. Okay, we've just seen an example of this. Now, can they break the cycle? Mm. You know, are they capable of that? And if so, how? And, and what's the difference? And so know? for Willow and Oz, I guess, sort of the flip side of that is, can you prevent the cycle? Like, sure. is, yeah. is there a yeah. prophylactic, you know, <laughs> attitude you can take towards yeah. it, so to speak? Right, um, right, right. What is, is, is Oz doomed to go the way of... Angel and Pete is Willow yeah. doomed to go the way of Debbie or can they get through that and find ways of not even going down that road in the first place? Yeah. Um, and before we move into sort of other discussions, although we've sort of covered Buffy and Platt, I think a bit. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a bummer that Platt's gone. Yeah, I know you get the feeling like you could have liked him, especially Oh man, that whole when Buffy comes in and he's dead, and you yeah. know he's dead, and yep. she's yep. talking and, she's still and, talking. and spilling yeah. her guts. Finally, you know we talked about how you know sort of the magic of words and and her opening up just a little bit to Giles and Willow and yeah. admitting um, 
that Angel had come back. Like now, the just the admission of I need someone to talk to. I need help. When have you ever heard Buffy yeah. say she needs help? I know. You of know, course she would say like, it to the dead guy. You yeah, know? yeah. Like this is just yeah. so such a heartbreaking scene there. But okay, so we've covered Platt. Um, yeah. But before we go into, because I think we need to talk about Buffy and Scott. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, and on Beasts, um, we also get Faith the Cynic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Faith the Faithless, so to speak. Um, <laughs> we were sort of talking about uh, before we started recording how, how little right. Faith faith seems yeah, to have in men. Yeah, maybe her name is ironic, you know. Well, at least with regards to men. But we, yeah. you know, and it's interesting because there's some humorous parts to it, but there's just in her whole attitude towards relationships she everything she talks about is very sexualized um and not and and i'd say sexualized not sexual but sexualized there's a lot of innuendo a lot of outright um just you know oh so they were doing Mm -hmm. it (laughs) you know like when when oz says oh you know they messed around or you know fooled around or whatever and immediately faith jumps to the sexual meaning of that yeah and and um Right. But then, and the others, and you don't think of them all as like prudes, but they're all kind of shocked by it, like that she just comes out and says it that way, you know, like yeah, well, even and, Oz is kind of like, well, I didn't mean that, you're like, I didn't, he doesn't yeah, know no, I, one way or the I other. I think he stole know? her notebook once. Yeah, like, <laughs> like that's the like that's what of I what meant I by Mister. Yeah. <laughs> and and even in the beginning, when when Buffy and Faith are patrolling together, and um. You know, they're talking about Scott and, and Faith, again, is going right, you know, to the sexual, you know, the, the yeah. funny feelings down below. And, you know, you get the feeling that Buffy's talking about, you know, uh, the butterflies in her stomach kind uh-huh. of feeling. And Faith is talking about Faith else. is talking about some other feelings. So, yeah. you know, it's it's and, and then you get her her you know, the, the, the sort of her cynical manifesto of all men are beasts. Uh, every guy from minimal down to Mr. I love the English patient, uh, has the beast in him and, um, talking about being in it for the chase and stuff like that. So, um, just a very, you know, giving you more insight to where faith is sort of coming from. And, and we don't necessarily know why she just sort of has all these assumptions, but, we do know her one, her mother's dead Two, her watcher was killed, you know, yeah, three, yeah. she dropped out of high school. So, I mean, she's clearly someone who has not had maybe quite, you know, a, as privileged a life as Buffy has, even yeah. as, as much as, you know, we've seen that Buffy doesn't feel privileged at times, you know, certainly yeah. with regard to um, where she is, you know, we, you, you have to wonder sort of if that isn't contributing to Faith's, uh, attitude yes. there yeah yeah i think so so anyway just wanted to make sure we sort of got in that viewpoint as well no that's a good point because i was thinking of her comments like in relation to the larger theme but you're right that they do contribute to what we know of the character too just mm-hmm. the fact that she holds these viewpoints and how she expresses them mm-hmm. tells us a lot about her yeah yep. anyway so Angel's back, and yeah. Buffy knows Angel's back, um, but she's dating Scott. And they yes. seem to be, I mean, like, they seem to be going all right. Yeah. Like, 
at this point. Yeah. Um, yep, they do. They're, they're, they're having dates, but they are pre-posy, as Buffy says. Not... <laughs> Other than the ring, he hasn't given her any gifts Yeah, yet. yeah, that, that ridiculous <laughs> ring that, that he gives her. Um, I, I Other than that, he seems to be playing it just right. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not real happy with the, the contrivance of that, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe I mean maybe that's it. Maybe they learned a lesson after he tried to give her that ring, and yeah, so no, now he's definitely now they're uh, back to not moving too fast. Yes, they're doing the the slow version. They did um, the Buster Keaton weekend, and and yeah. now they're just kind of handling it day to day. But I mean, they're showing yeah. affection towards each other in school. Yeah, you yeah, know, I mean, are. it's it's not like Xander and Cordy when they first started. They weren't you know where they were sort of hiding stuff or whatever. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, they seem to be sort of uh, perfectly normal, you know. Mm. At least I'm sure that won't last, but <laughs> as of right now, well, they, they have their two weeks of Scott's, a normal relationship or whatever. Scott's last name is Hope, remember? That's true. So, That's true. Uh, you know, there is hope. Yeah, but that could be ironic. <laughs> <laughs> like faith, it's just... <laughs> He's going to die some bloody death. Yeah. I, <laughs> this I, is Joss Whedon's view of hope. I, I don't, I'm not going to say one way or the other, but um, All right. anyway. Well, I, um, there, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, the only other thing I was going to say is like that, um, I mean, I'm sure Scott's going to very quickly become acquainted with, you know, what Buffy's life is like, but already... He's getting a sense of, uh, he doesn't quite understand it, but Pete makes the comments about, look at Scotty liking the manic depressive chick. That he knows that Buffy has ups and downs and that she's not quite your average person. That she has things which she struggles with and, you know, will sort of have, you know, moments of, you know, what seem like manic depressive, you know, uh, highs and lows you know she has she seems nice and bubbly sometimes and then sort of serious and depressed other times so he's sort of learning that I think mm. you know that he kind of goes out of his way to compliment her because she didn't get enough sleep and she you know that that almost makes it worse like she doesn't even want the compliment well and yeah and that's I mean in the context of just having found out that Angel returned yeah, as well. It, like, yeah, understandably. I don't, right. I don't mean that. Well, no. But, but and, from where he's coming from, right. that's got to be difficult. That and he that's, says, you look amazing. And she says, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> so, so again, is this, you know, we talked about repeating patterns. Is this another repeated pattern where, because he doesn't, you know, Scott doesn't seem initiated into... Right. The the darker side the of Sunnydale. Yeah. Um, so, how does she handle that? Right. No, knowing just last episode where she admitted something that you know she was hiding from other people. Now yeah. she's back to hiding something from him. How yeah. do, how is that going to affect who they are? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. And we didn't like Xander. We didn't really. Well, we've seen we saw Xander's beast before, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Scott's beast, 
Right. If right. we're if we're right. to accept all men are beasts, he's got to have one in there somewhere. If we're to accept Faith the Cynic, yeah, yeah, uh, her words, then then we haven't seen his beast yet. Does or or is she wrong? Does every yeah. man have a beast? And maybe he's maybe that's his hope. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm trying to throw you like in all different throw directions here. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm totally off the scent. I don't know what's going to happen with Scott. Um, good. I actually haven't the faintest idea. There should be so, some surprises, so that's good. Yes, that is definitely one of the Scott. I don't feel like Scott is a character, and maybe that is telling enough in itself. I don't feel like he's one that I have a concept of him. You know, like in the same way that. I maybe knew uh, certain things about Oz before we started watching the show. I don't, sure. I don't feel like I know. I don't have any sense of where Scott's character might be going, mm. um, okay. which is exciting because I honestly haven't a clue. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see. Because not only is she hiding her whole magical alternate life but she's also now going to be hiding angel i mean presumably there's going to be romantic tension here <laughs> you know that this is the old boyfriend who's back and now she's got the new boyfriend so that's going to be hidden as well or that will be her decision i guess is right you know whether or not to initiate scott into the inner circle yeah yeah I suppose we shall see any uh so we're kind of coming up on time here any yeah. uh final thoughts um anything about xander and cordy we don't i mean we already sort of talked a little bit about xander i don't really i mean xander typical xander he says he's going to read an exercise and then he lays down puts his head on the book and falls yeah asleep the second the second the willow's out of the second room willow shuts the door so and i kind of like I like Giles just absolutely exasperated. He's just so over Xander. Like, you know, like his frustration with him is really funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Cordy, <laughs> You mean you know, fell asleep? Yeah. Fell <laughs> or woke asleep. up? No, woke, woke up. up. Woke yeah. up, that's what he says. Uh, you mean woke up? Yeah, if you want to put it that way, Mr. Technical. <laughs> and, uh, and Cordy, tactful as ever... Oz ate someone last night. <laughs> so, uh, they're, they're, they're being themselves and they're always enjoyable. Yeah. Yep. Good, good, good times. <laughs> um, and then I like how Cordy sort of acknowledges at the end. She's like, where have I been? I know. <laughs> you know? And, and you kind of think, where has she been? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, we haven't really, she didn't really get involved in the whole second half of that story. It, it, it's a Cordy light episode. It is a Cordy Light. Which is, I wonder if, like, Charisma Carpenter had another job that week or yeah. something. Like. Which, which is a great segue into the Dr. Light episode that we have to talk yes. about. Oh, that see how I did that? That was, that was just boom. Although I suppose if you acknowledge it, then it's not that good. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, on to Blink. On Doc, that note. Doctor Who. See, you blinked, and yeah. now we're on a new topic. Um, I'm not sure how you blink your ears, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm still, I'm going with it. The, I wanted to start out here cause you sent me actually the link to the short story, um, yeah. 
that this is based off of. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't, I mean, I, we don't want to talk about it because they're very different. Yes. Stories. Yeah. And I do, um, same thing as last week with human nature. I do, I don't want to shortchange the episode by talking about the source material. Right. But that doesn't mean we can't acknowledge it. So acknowledged. And the only thing that I'll point out is I was surprised that there was nothing about the weeping angels in it. Yeah. Um, Because that's such a core element to this new story. Yeah. Clearly. um, That, you know, I mean, I could sort of... The rest of the the short story, you could see how... um, and we'll link to it in our podcast for any, for in our blog post yeah. for anyone who doesn't um, hasn't read it. But you know, I guess the, the the other pieces of it, you can sort of see how they've adapted and and yeah. you know change it. But the angels, they just really haven't. There was nothing yeah, there about them. The so, short story, the short story is a monsterless Doctor Who episode, which is oh yeah, maybe the only one I can think of <laughs> that I've read. Or see, yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe others exist honestly, in the that's, vast corpus, but yeah, that's the only non certainly new in the show, show that or, yeah, that certainly I've in read. the show. I think that's the only. I don't think there is an episode of New Who that doesn't have some type of monster somewhere. I mean, some are more important than others, but mm-hmm. that or, is a really big change. <laughs> or or something that you. Or at an least think right. You at least something. think is a monster, yeah. but yeah. you know maybe it's there's something under duress, and and then the doctor has to figure out how to yeah help yeah. It and out I, I use thing. that to, that term loosely, but like the the short story is really just about the time travel conundrum, right? You know, there which a, they build up. I mean, they they expand the ideas in this yeah. episode. So I mean, but you can still see sort of the core of what they're yeah. doing in that. Um, although, although he didn't yeah. use the wibbly wobbly line in the story. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, so that, that's all I want to say about that. Any other thoughts about the story uh, or just I sort do. of the I, setup? I do want to point out a few things about, cause this is, a, a very important episode sort of in the history of the show. So, uh, Stephen Moffat, I mentioned before that he was supposed to write the Dalek double episode and mm-hmm. he had other commitments and couldn't do it too bad so he too bad but thank god because i will take the dalek two-parter if it means that we get this mm. um so he Fair volunteered enough. yeah he volunteered for the he said you know my my punishment is that i'll write the cheap dr light episode that everyone is gonna hate um so he sort of volunteered to do that um and so, you know, you can see that he took the short story, which he had written a couple of years ago, and expanded and, you know, changed it around. Um, so the reception of this episode, unlike Love and Monsters, which we talked about, was very mixed. This one has been pretty unanimously mm-hmm. positive. Um, it won the 2008 Hugo. So that's three in a row for Doctor Who and for Moffat. So he's three for three. Mm. Um, wow. It... Uh, also won a few other awards, um, the BAFTA Craft Award um, for the Best Writer and the Nebula Award for Best Script, so a few other prestigious awards for him. Um, Carrie Mulligan won a Constellation Award for her performance in that uh, Mighty 200 poll that I've mentioned a few times. It's the number two episode, so 
it comes second to a classic episode, but it is oh, okay. number two of all of them and the highest New Who episode. Um, so uh, this is the gold standard, you know, and while it might not be every individual person's absolute favorite, it's pretty much the one to beat. It's every, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find people who don't rank this up at the top as among yeah. the greats. Um, like within their top five, perhaps. Or yeah. Actually. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really the benchmark, um, you know, and, and it, I think, you know, sometimes the classic episodes you can find, you know, you can quibble about their classic status, but I think this one is pretty hard to argue with. Mm. Um, so that's all I have to say. Let's talk about it. And do you agree, I guess, would be the first question. And then we can talk about. I actually hated this episode. No, <laughs> of course. No, it's a great episode. I can't even. That would be just like, like you. Anyone listening can see my not straight face in saying that. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked pretty much every aspect of it so yeah no i i liked it but then i also liked love and monsters so um you know sure i'm already sure. on board with the dr light yeah we, we're, we're no problems and we talked about too how um we even might see how this episode is standing on the shoulders of love and monsters in a sense that love and monsters was groundbreaking in a sense um and this might be groundbreaking in some other ways, but I think Love and Monsters really broke the ice in terms of the concept of Dr. Light. And so much of this mm. that Moffat does is drawn from that. So you really, you know, it would be difficult to see one without the other. You know, it's, it's hard to see Moffat going quite so, um, you know, full steam ahead with the Dr. Light concept if we hadn't had love and monsters, you know, mm -hmm. and there's even certain ideas like the breaking of the fourth wall with the video recordings and the kind of glimpse of the doctor's life as seen from the outside rather than the inside. I think those are ideas which he pretty blatantly just plucked right from Russell Davies and said, well, I'm going to take, those are great ideas and I'm going to adapt them and put my spin on them, you know? Yeah. And I think, Maybe because people are more familiar with the idea of Dr. Light. It makes this an easier pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't have the absorbable off, which helps. Um, <laughs> I think the, the Weeping Angels are Much. a distinct improvement from that. But Much in terms of the writing, I think a lot of it is building on what Love and Monsters sort of established. Um, mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um well, I guess let's actually talk about the story then. Yes. Um, the so and we have to. I feel start with Sally because yeah, she's pretty much the main character Absolutely, um, in this. Yeah. Uh, so, um, where to begin? I suppose we'll, let's begin at the beginning. Um, <laughs> she's at this abandoned house because we learn a little bit later that she loves old things, um, and I guess she's just. Just there taking pictures? And yeah, she's like some, just, some sort of amateur photographer or, you know. Or a professional, perhaps? We don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know. Never really find out, do we? No, we um, 
but of course, uh, I, I do like the connection, though. We get that explanation of, of her loving old things. And then, of course, she ends up working in an old, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. book and video shop. So, yeah. um, nice little... And, well, and actually, too, that line about what's good about sad, it's happy for deep people. That, mm. uh, that actually, as I was reading the short story for the first time, one of the things that jumped out to me was Moffat, uh, his use of the idea of nostalgia... Um, yeah, and yes. in the short story, he capitalizes it. It's mm. a nostalgia with a big N. Um, and this, and he, she talks about a train that makes her hurt, but in a, I don't forget the line. It's like, you know, it, it hurts, but in a, in a happy way or something, or what is it? A big sighing feeling like, ha like sadness, only nice. Mm. So I think a lot of this, the episode is playing on that idea of, old things and nostalgia and bittersweet and things being both happy and sad and you know might the happiness derive something from the sadness and all those so well and it's or or even you know the sadness itself connotes a sort of previous happiness and so in that yeah. way you know and that's what nostalgia is right like it's right. It, this this old house wasn't always old house it it was at one time a house where people lived and and were happy and and so yes it's sad that it's maybe run down and not used anymore but it's it's also nice to know that that had been at one point yeah. you know yeah. a place uh of joy and and happiness um so the yeah so just really i guess an interesting thing that like it so she's seeking that out right yeah. it's 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 yeah. it's not just that she likes it when she runs across it but it's it's that you know we know that she's actively looking for something to photograph there um mm -hmm. you know and and assuming that she's going to find something worth photographing there like it's not even sort of a question it's just she just needs to find what it is but um of course finds rather than that um <laughs> things written beneath the the wallpaper there yeah. uh so uh, i like well i guess i'm not clear what the whole okay so she ducks and something gets thrown at her presumably by, yeah. any, by the one angel. of the angels yeah. Yeah. like what what's what's i didn't quite get that because like every other time they just sort of like come up to people and try yeah. to yeah Moffat Moffat talks about that in the commentary. He says that obviously the since the angels um you know it, it they can't move if you're looking at them then their 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 most effective mode of attack would be to render their victims unconscious. So maybe they try to hurl a rock and knock her out and so then they can go and zap her back in time while she's unconscious that's the basic idea hmm. um they don't ever really i don't think it's a very effective tactic because they don't use it again <laughs> yeah well i was gonna say like the other like however many other people that they send yeah. back in time in this episode yeah they, they don't, don't use that do method. that so well and i i want to talk about that more when we get to the weeping angels so okay 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 um, and that's fine so talking about sally so um and i guess we'll kind of go through 
the people who are important in her life <laughs> kind of here because like we she kind of meets them one by or not meets i mean she already knows kathy but um you know yeah. they come into the story one by one um so she goes she has this sort of encounter with the writing beneath the wallpaper and and the thing that's thrown at her but she's not quite sure what's going on leaves and goes to kathy's house mm-hmm. um where I guess her brother also lives or is staying or I guess not. Yeah, it kind of seems like he's staying there like, you know. Yeah, because she doesn't seem to. reloading a little bit. It yeah, kind of seems like. Right, because Kathy, when she just wakes up, doesn't really seem to know what's going on in her own living room. Right. <laughs> like with all right. the TVs and, and stuff. And the fact that Sally hasn't met him before. So maybe he's just mm. moved in. You know, like she says, like you've met my brother, haven't you? And it's like, oh, that's my useless brother. So they seem to be very good friends, but not so much, like, she hasn't met Larry. So the impression I get is that he's just moved in and, and maybe he's, you know, sleeping on her couch for a little while or mm. something like that. Mm. Um, um, Kathy but Knight. he's certainly taken over the living room with his right. many TV screens and DVDs. Right. Right. Um, Kathy Nightingale. Yeah. So the name. Oh, oh, and I didn't I didn't mention Sally Sparrow. Yeah. Great name. Just yeah. a, sure. a nice, nice little not just for the, um, you know, the alliteration there, but the the concept of the sparrow being, you know, a small thing. Right. You know, the the sort of the biblical idea of the sparrow as, you know, such a small thing yet. Mm-hmm. You know, God has its eye on, you know, his eye yeah. on it and, and that kind of thing. Like here, we're getting the view of the small person again, right? This is what right. the Dr. Light episodes are about, I guess, in a way, right? When mm-hmm. we sort of talked about with Elton too, right? It's your normal person. It's your average person. It's someone who's ordinary and, and just sort of happens upon these things and and now becomes involved and, and entangled with extraordinary events. And, you know, and she finds that the doctor kind of does have his eye on her. And like, she is integral to his mm. story that she's necessary and he's sending her messages that, you know, it, he is sort of trying. The whole thing is to communicate with her, you know, that she seems ordinary, but really she's completely central to, mm-hmm. you know, the entire plot. You yeah. know, the, the, there's that moment where she says, you know, the, the Easter egg, it was meant for me. Mm-hmm. You know, right. This is and really all about me. Well, yes. And, and so, yeah, so she's integral to the plot, but not just integral to the plot. The plot is actually created around her. Absolutely. In a way. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I think, the intriguing part is, you know, and we can get into talking about the doctor and the timey-wimey stuff. But, you know, there's it's that idea that it's not just the things are happening to her, but actually, in a way, for her. Yes. Um, so anyway, you know, I don't know where all we go with that necessarily. But um, I guess just back to Kathy. Yeah. You know, they are good friends. They both have bird surnames and mm-hmm. um, they sort of make a play on that, you know, talking about. Sparrow and Nightingale. And and they're there. Kathy doesn't quite understand what's going on. Like, why are we here? What are we doing here? 
and and then again like the plot sort of revolving around sparrow we get kathy's it's funny because it's it's again it's this cause and effect thing where you have you have kathy's grandson is the one who distracts the attention which is what separates them yes and allows kathy to be transferred back into time yeah (laughs) like to be yeah no there's a this is definitely um a this isn't the only i think doctor who we've talked about it's perfectly willing to contradict itself and that's almost what this line about wibbly wobbly is getting at is it's going to be contradictory don't Mm -hmm. worry about it it's a mess but in this episode time is a loop Right, time isn't so much a string or a or a ball of stuff. It's it's a loop. It's a circle where the past creates the future and vice versa. And you know, cause and effect is a chicken and egg. And you know, you can't really figure out. There's no real starting or end point. It sort of loops around on itself endlessly or infinitely. So. Mm-hmm. Certainly in this episode, I think that's the view of time travel that we're getting. Yeah. Yeah, no, you definitely get that. And and especially with the different repeated um, snippets from, from the Easter egg videos. Yeah, it's, right. Uh, really interesting there. But, um, yeah, so I guess just to sort of finish Kathy out, like, we get the, you know, so she gets sent back to 1920 and... Like, then you get this really brief, you know, biography of the life of Kathy, you know, know, with pictures. And, and that's it. Like, yeah. And and of course, and you find out that she died 20 years ago, like when Sally would have been a little girl. Yeah. Um, Or, I mean, I, I think she must be in her like young 20s is sort of where, where I'm sort of guessing that she's so anyway um yeah but you don't get you don't get sort of the whole like okay kathy eventually got to the point where she was happy and she says she lived a good life and had kids and and that's great um but she had to get from one point to the other right from one of running away from Ben was it was that the mm-hmm. guy she married to to being content and marrying him and yeah, you know yeah. all of that so like I don't know there's there's still like potential for story there I guess is all I'm saying like you sure. still you know again we're we're focusing on Sally so we don't get all of that but we do get sort of this you know this idea of 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 the shock of you know yeah. uh, even what Kathy writes um you know taking a breath in um 2007 and then your next breath in 1920 and and sort of the idea there but i think it becomes even more of a shock than when you get on to billy and you see yeah um you meet him and i know sort of larry's in between there but we can talk about him in a minute um yeah no i think another aspect to the title besides the reference to not blinking you know in the danger of the angels is this concept of your life flashing before your eyes and yeah. there, there's a brevity to it that 
did I just cut you? I probably well, just well, no, I, I was getting there. I was, I, I was taking the slow way because I was going to bring, I was going to talk about Billy, and of course, it's like you know, one minute he's asking her out for a drink, and then the next minute he's an old man in bed, and he talks about yeah. these are old man's hands. What? How did that yeah. happen? And 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 yeah, so like there is that right. Don't blink or it'll pass you by aspect to it. Um, and and I th- and th- one thing I noticed this time is that you know. Larry does his annoying little brother thing and walks without his underwear in front of her friend and she's so mad at him and she she says, you know, I hate you. And presumably this is the last thing she ever says to him because the next yeah. morning they get up and they go to the the house and she gets sent back in time. So then her message to Sally to her brother is tell him that she loves him and just this idea that telling her brother now she didn't mean it like that. She meant it in a sisterly way you know (laughs) i hate you in an affectionate sort of way but i think too like i hate you with all my heart yeah yeah, exactly i think that concept of the shock of you know maybe the idea of your life being over in an instant you know Mm -hmm. i mean and it wasn't over for her i mean she had life beyond that but certainly for sally and for larry there is the shock of Mm -hmm. you know one minute she's there and the next she's gone. Yeah. And that's well, it. And 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 it's it's the importance also to which you know these people now she just met Billy but you know okay so Kathy's her best friend like in minutes she had her best friend and they were you know making fun about having a spy agency together. Yeah. And then she learns that she's been whisked away and has died in the interim of a few seconds. Like, and then you go from there to this potential lover who, okay, you know, yeah, they haven't even gone out on a date or anything yet, you know, haven't even gone out to get a drink, but she's already slipping up with her last name with him. So like, like at least there's the potential there where this could be a lifelong, you know, marriage partner kind of thing going on here. And then again, within seconds, He's whisked away, and she sits there and watches him die. Yeah. So, like, like there is just this very, um, you know, even as much as she might like old things because it's happy for deep people or yeah. and you know sad things or whatever. Um, the the like this is like too much. Like there's still like, you get the sense that there's something wrong here. Like Uh even, even for the normal order of things, yes, life might pass you by, but even this is like not what it's supposed to be. Well, Um, and that's the horror of the weeping angel. Well, and that's, (laughs) but the interesting thing though, is that's the horror for her, the one who's never touched by the weeping angel. Absolutely. And it's the people who are, they still go on to have full and happy right. lives. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like, it, it, I like that, that it's, it's mixed. It's not, it, you're not real clear because you are, you are sad. But then again, it's that idea of, of nostalgia. You're sad for her because she didn't get to share in those things with Kathy and Billy, but you still have to kind of be happy that they still got to live and be yeah. loved and, and find their way. Like you don't get the sense that Billy had a hard life. He found another Sally and they <laughs> made it together. You know what I mean? Yeah, like had a successful DVD, you know, publishing <laughs> company and all this. Like, yeah. 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 I, so, I love that. The irony too of 
him saying he gets the phone number. I'm going to mm-hmm. call you. I might even call you tonight. Mm-hmm. And of course, he does call her tonight. But for yeah. him, it's 40 years later. You yeah. know, for yeah. her, it's tonight. So absolutely. I mean, 38 years. 38. <laughs> uh, if there's one, I, I don't, and I don't mean this as like any sort of criticism at all. Some people, the Weeping Angels get tended to, I see them, I see people refer to them as the scariest monster. And hmm. I can kind of see that because of, we can talk about, you know, I think the their mode of, you know, moving is terribly scary. But the idea of them isn't as frightening to me because of what you talk about, because it's not as horrific for the victims, you know, that they are thrown back in time, but they still get to lead, you know, it's not instant death. They do have life ahead of them. I think, so that does undercut a little bit of the terror and makes them more melancholy, I guess, or Mm. just weird rather than truly horrifying. But it is a lot scarier for the people left behind, for the Sallies who suddenly lose their friend in an instant, um, you know, I think definitely from her perspective, that's where the horror comes in is having a date with a guy. And then 10 minutes later, he's dying in the hospital. So, so yeah, no, I think that that makes sense. Um, and, and yeah, I mean like, so the look of, of the angels is kind of scary. And like you said, the mode of their movement is pretty yes. freaky. And especially, yeah. oh my gosh, when they're in the basement and the light is flickering and <laughs> that's just crazy. Yeah. Um, I And I like that you get from the beginning of the episode to, to that point in the basement, It you definitely get this escalating idea of how they move. Like it's, yeah. you know, at first it's sort of like, Oh, that statue out in the yard kind of slightly shifted a little somehow between yesterday and today. Like it's yeah. a very minor movement and it's still like it's like hasn't even changed position. It's just yeah. like someone came along and dragged it a couple feet, you know, right, right. away from where it was. Um, but then, you know, you get these like little like when she sees it across the street, you know, from the police station or wherever, and like suddenly they're gone and, oh, they flitted to the other side of the street when she blinked and that kind of thing. Like, okay, they can actually move quite far in the space of a blink. But now, um, you know, like, again, they're still sort of covering their eyes. They're not threatening in any way. And then you get to the point where they're, um, when when Sally and Larry, who we have talked about Larry before we get in, I guess we're already talking about the angels, so <laughs> yeah. we'll just keep talking about them for a bit. But, um, you know, when they're in the house and then you start seeing, like, the looks on their faces. like because and I, think, I think that's the scariest, is that first moment of, you're not looking at the statue, neither are you. And then they turn and you see it with its fangs and claws. That right. jolt like, is if oh, that man. realization had come one second later, oh, they would have <laughs> been it. That was so it, yeah. Um, there's a really interesting point, and I don't know. It was driving me nuts because I was trying to figure out if this is intentional or not. Okay. okay. In that same – so, right, the, the, the 
Angel is sort of hovering over them there in the room, and they sort of back, get up and back away. Yeah. And that's when Larry has to stare. Like, she keeps staring at staring at it. You know, you have, <laughs> like, what pressure you have. Like, not only do yes. I know I have to stare at it, but you're sitting there yelling at me to stare at the yeah, stupid yeah, thing. Yeah. He blinks in that scene. Yeah. But not not like one of the slow blinks where they move. There's and I don't know if it's uh intentional or not because she's looking all around the room like telling him to, you know, look at it cuz she's yeah. like I'm going to go look for these other three and he does blink and as she's looking all around as he's blinking she looks right at it for like a split mm-hmm. second in the same moment. I even like paused it on that one to like see where, <laughs> where her eyes are looking and she yeah. is. And then she looks away again and he opens his eyes right there. Like, and it's just the briefest moment. Yeah. Um, and it drives me nuts. Cause I don't know if that was intentional and I, it seems almost like it couldn't be intentional, but then on the other hand, it's like, I don't know. Like it's that just yeah. that brief moment. Like, you know, did they get it just perfectly to where where they could do that? Right, like her eye line was exactly where it needed to yeah. be, or whatever. Like I, okay. The other thing which I think, which we will have to, dis- you've said you know that the angels will be coming back at some point. So this is uh, yes, you know, this is to be discussed at a later point as well. But I think another part of it too, and this. Is goes back to the throwing of the stone and everything. Um, I think that the audience is implicitly in, involved in this episode. I, well, and I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna. That was actually something yeah. that I, I had considered. Like, how much when the camera is on the angels, right. does that mean? Because we're what? Because because yeah. there's the whole ending, you yeah. know, like the coda to the yeah, to the episode yeah, exactly. where where it's you know you have all these people in these public places and like, all right. So someone's eyes is sort of always Someone on these eyes statue. On it all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and I, so is it, I like to think that we are involved mm-hmm. and that the, we don't see the angels move because they can't when we're, when we're looking too. you mm-hmm. know, that there's sort of, and again, with the doctor talking to them out of the TV screen, and at the end, he's talking to us out of the TV screen. I think it invites that reading that, yeah. that you know, we're sort of in on the game. Yeah. And um, almost, almost and, like as long I've as it, I've seen it pointed out too that with the cliche of hiding behind the sofa, which is what kids do when they're scared of Doctor Who, this mm-hmm. is the perfect monster for that because hiding behind the sofa is the exact stupidest thing you could possibly do that this is a monster that tells you don't hide behind the sofa you better keep your eyes on the screen Mm. you know that it it sort of and of course there's like a meta element too of don't change the channel you better keep watching you know Mm. don't blink you're gonna miss it there's like that aspect of (laughs) getting the audience to stay with you and keep them watching and making sure that they're always vigilant and everything Mm. so I think there is a a meta level, you know, which yeah. plays along with the monsters and the fact that it's there's such a visually based. It's a perfect movie monster because it's all about what you can see and what you can't see. Right. So. Right. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so we get you, you mentioned that 
again, you know, for the people who get sent back, it's maybe not so bad. And 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 the doctor even says they're the only psychopaths that kill you nicely. They just let yeah. you sort of live out your life. It's just in another era, and then they feed off the potential energy mm-hmm. of you know where your life might have gone had you continued living in the present. Yeah. Um, well, the future, I guess technically. Um, yeah, weird. Um, yeah, that's they're abstract. Uh, and, and yeah, like we were talking, like, okay, so they can't exist when being observed. Yeah. Um, and that it's sort of inexorable. Like there's not, it's not like something bad will happen to them if they are observed. It's that they can't at all exist. Like it's, it's impossible. There's just, it's like, you know, two items occupying the same physical space you know yeah, it, yeah. it's not it's a, it's a paradox of of space but not of time apparently right. um right that's interesting given how much they have to do with time how much they also are restricted by space and by their physical reality as well as their temporal mm-hmm. reality um anyway so um, yeah, that last scene where they're in the basement and you sort of realize what's going to happen with the lights yeah. and, 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 and then they're rocking the TARDIS back yeah. and forth, um, <laughs> shaking up. Yeah. I, you know, and I never thought about that before, but yeah, like, you know, pretty minor movements, I guess, to the, to the box from the outside, but because everything inside is bigger, it's like mm. magnifying, you know, the the shaking of the TARDIS, yeah. like throws them across the inside of the of the, you know, control room or whatever that's called. Yeah, they're um, sort of getting tossed around and everything. Um, and so uh, the the final trick being that they get uh, paralyzed looking at each other. Um, mm-hmm. which is right. cool. It's a good little, you know, like weeping angel version of a Mexican standoff, right? It's yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and and they do plant that seed early on with the kind of that's why they're weeping. They can't look at each other because they'll get right. stuck. Well, you and know. he says they're not actually weeping; they're just covering their eyes yeah, and yeah. and that kind of thing. So, um, interesting, interesting. Kind of there. a kind of a little play on the Medusa too of you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not looking at something or you'll turn to stone they can't look at each other or they'll get stuck as stones you know there's something kind yeah, of yeah yeah Greek about that <laughs> right right yeah and and like you've mentioned before like they do sort of come up with these like alien explanations for yeah some of these older mythologies and and monsters and stuff so yeah that's an interesting um Interesting thing there. So going back, I guess, to talk about Larry for a minute. Um, yeah. Lawrence Nightingale. Lawrence Nightingale, yeah. Is, that, is, is there an illusion there that you know of? I think it of? has to be, although I don't know that it means anything. But Well, that, that's what I was... It's certainly a pun, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you, like you said, it's so obvious, but like yeah. I don't know... Like I, I was trying to figure out. Like, there's nothing obvious to me that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I don't sense. think so. I bet. I bet it's something like he had the name Nightingale, and then thought, wouldn't it be funny if it was Lawrence? 
Right. Like, it seems like... Like, he wanted the word, the name as Nightingale, Nightingale yeah. to play off Sparrow, and yeah. then, oh, well, we'll call her brother Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. And then you get, you know, Sparrow and Nightingale, the girl crime-fighting team gets, mm-hmm. you know, interrupted, but you get Sparrow and Nightingale at the end with their... It be, it's not. It's no longer a DVD store. It's a. It's a rare books and used mm-hmm. DVDs. You know, the, right. it's the marriage of, you know, media savvy Lawrence and sort of art appreciating. Right, Sally. antiquarian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which are kind of two halves of a coin, I think. Right. Well, and the and the joke, you know, of her only owning 17 dvds he seems like appalled you know the guy who owns a dvd store is appalled by the fact that she only owns 17 dvds he only Um, owns that when she and she says things like you know me and the guys are trying to work it out when you say guys you mean the internet don't you (laughs) how'd you know (laughs) yes um so yeah so i and the presumption being that at the end they are actually at that point, now that she's sort of resolved her after she meets the doctor and Martha in the flesh, yeah. uh, you know, that now there is going to be some sort of deeper relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Um, it seems like she's passed on that. She's, she's handed over that responsibility and is now mm-hmm. for some reason, for whatever reason that that was holding her back, uh, the implication is it's not anymore, and they mm-hmm. go off to live there, holding hands. Yeah, holding hands to whatever future, right? They have, you know. Um. Didn't yeah really pick that like, even to the point where so okay obviously the first time we see him he's like naked, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so. But then, and even I do when want to we see that that in British slang, pants doesn't mean pants; it's underwear. No, it's underwear. Yeah, no, it I, is. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. Know. So, but for anyone who's listening who doesn't know that, um, uh, yes, he's commando. Right, right. Um, so, and then we see him in the video store, and and I didn't, I would not have predicted they would end up together. No, at the end, there's <laughs> yeah, not there so just seems no way. Like he just seems. Well, like you said, I mean, we don't really know what the situation is there with with him being in his sister's house. But you don't get the sense that he's whatever he's doing, that he's completely supporting himself (laughs) in any way, shape or form to the point where he can have a meaningful relationship with someone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, shame on me, I suppose, for having stereotypes. But (laughs) um, yeah, but I mean. And also sort of his obsession, obsession about, you know, the doctor and these Easter egg videos. Like, right. just seem... He's kind of like Elton in that way. Or, yeah. Or, or like the, the Linda group. Like, he could have been a member of Linda, you know? Yeah, yeah. If he'd ever made the connection between the Easter eggs and the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, he would totally have been a member of Linda. Yeah. Yeah, you get that sense. Um so yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know what to say too much about him other than just he he seems to be you know, he seems to have this obsession, but again, 
his part revolves around Sally. Like, yeah. like everything that he learned is to help Sally learn, you know, quickly what she needs to know to do her part. Like yeah. it's, you know, once again, it's like all this stuff sort of comes back to her. It's, it's created for her. He, you know, has this DVD of like the concatenated, you know, Easter egg videos and which strange enough, how does he know which order to put them in? Um, right. Uh, and then he has that shiny DVD, the, the one that can control the TARDIS in the end, you know, like where did he get that? Where did he obtain that exact copy that he needed? Um, or was it I thought, any, I thought, I thought that would have been in any of them. Like well, there's something the, in the, in the, whichever of those DVDs has that Easter egg are sort of, they have some code embedded, which has controls for the TARDIS. See, possibly, possibly, but there is the mention where he says, and I think he's talking about that disc. Um, this one's a little bit clearer. Than that okay, like you get one, a little this bit is the best one yeah, yeah you get yeah. a little bit better picture and that's that's what made the second watch through I didn't pick up on that the first time but the second watch through that's what made me think oh huh I wonder if there's something special about that DVD and how did and it, it come to be. be in his power and that yeah and I right, I mean right. and Sally I've watched enough Doctor that. Who at this point to know <laughs> that I may not ever get an explanation and actually likely will not ever You're get, never an explanation. get an explanation for so. that. Uh, um, I mean, but that's a good point because that's something that only Larry would care to pick the one with the clearest sound and video. Right, Sally would right. care less. Grab the one that's closest and he, get it in. He's that know? geek who cares about like yep. the slightly higher resolution or yep. the little bit better sound quality. Yep, and, yep. and that could have been what made the difference. You know, yeah. I mean, we don't know that, but why not? Right. You know. Right. Um, it, he does act as her companion. In a way, I kind of yeah. like to think of them as a doctor and companion solving their their little mystery. And mm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, so he does. He is the helper and the supplier right. and, of information and assistance and right. And does companionship. What, yeah. what she tells him to when yeah. they're at the point where they're blinking and yeah. or not or trying not to blink. I mean, yeah. not, no, they're not blinking. They're actively yeah. avoiding blinking. Um, and and I mean too. I love. I just love that actor and his. As the doctor and Sally finally start to have the back and forth conversation, his little commentary over on the side is just so amazing. Yeah. That you know, look to your left is a political statement, and and the angels have the phone box. That's my favorite. I've got that on a t-shirt and everything. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> his little remarks are just spot on. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so you know, I mean, it, good. I think you're right. I think there, there's there's a lot of good little thing. I didn't really think about it as a companion, so to speak, in that way. But I think I think that works. I think that fits. Um, but okay, so you brought up the conversation yes. with the doctor. We which, should talk about the doctor. Which I want to say that for all that this is, Doctor Light, that conversation is really the centerpiece of the episode. And I Mm -hmm. think even more than love and monsters, I think the doctor is a player in this episode. Like he's involved and you feel like you get quality time with him. And it's one of the best Mm -hmm. doctor scenes ever written and ever Mm -hmm. performed, I think. Um, Well, and I like just 
so I, you know, I just the importance of that scene I think can't be overstated. Mm-hmm. I I like that you get the, you know, throughout the episode you get the dribs and drabs of yes. the conversation before you get the final full thing, yeah. and I like that they worked out the dialogue, especially when she's first in there, right, um, watching right. it. It works that time, but even later when you know that it's already sort of worked before they change it and it still works. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the right. lines it's that still relevant. Yeah. The, the, the lines that the doctor's saying there in a different setting still, still right. Makes right. Sense. Like the first, she says, you can hear you. Can, it's all, it's like, you can hear me. And he says, well, I can hear you. And then the second time it's, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, you can hear me. And he says, well, I can hear you. Right. <laughs> so right. You get the same line working each time. He like, the oh, Moffat is just a genius. Yeah, so it's that's all it comes down to. Um, really good, but like, so getting beyond the 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 craft of the story, um, the mythology in that, mm-hmm. um, I like that because we really haven't gotten too complex um, with with the back and forth of the time travel stuff yet um yeah i I mean i would dare say most episodes okay you go to one time and you spend that episode in that time and then you leave yeah (laughs) you know what i mean that's like most of them um yeah you get a little bit of playing back and forth with uh like the girl in the fireplace yeah but those are still pretty linear even though they're jumping back and forth between multiple times right they're still linear they're, story they're, they're yeah. linear stories in each of those times and kind of going through yeah. there so the the first real sense um you get of the the going back is in father's day i would say yeah. where where Briefly, they cross path and it creates this whole paradox. So you're like, oh, well, I guess we shouldn't do that again. Yeah. But then I like um, that in this season, in the first episode, um, when you uh, so in Smith and Jones, you get the doctor doing the tie thing at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. episode. And then you don't learn till later. And it seems like that was sort of the breaking of the seal so to speak right of of you know to get us to this so if if the dr light episode last season the love and monsters was was helping us get to that you know idea that a dr light episode could actually be pretty decent and have a good story even without focusing on the doctor himself like i think from the time perspective and sort of the mythology like that's that little brief moment of him taking off his tie and I forget even what he says to her exactly. Some like, yeah, goes, like, like see, see? yeah, like <laughs> yeah. whatever. And then walks off and you have no idea what it means then until, you know, the very end of that episode, like that's sort of the, the setup for yeah. this much larger implication here yes. of where you get these ideas of time isn't fluid, even though, you know, it seems like it is most of the time, most, most of the time. Uh, right. Even though it seems like it is, it, it really isn't. And there's, there's always things sort of happening. Um, oh, and I would say the other, the other similar thing to that is, um, at the end of, of the Shakespeare episode where you get Elizabeth, mm-hmm. um, and he calls her Elizabeth the first, even though 
why would he call her the first? Right. Yeah. She's just Elizabeth. Um, but the, uh, yeah, that idea that she knows who I am. Yeah. I don't know who I am, which is of course repeated at the end of this episode when, yeah. uh, uh, Sparrow, I almost called her not Sparrow. No, when Sally, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know uh runs into them and it takes her a moment but then she comes to the realization of oh okay you don't have it yet and in fact again like now she's sort of plotting her own story for later right, right. so she's now setting the her, in motion, her giving yeah. him yeah. that right her story's already done but right now she's giving him the impetus to to finish the story later yeah so to speak. Yeah. No, I think that is all really right. And definitely I think you're right to say that this season is playing with those ideas more so. And definitely that we're going to see more of that in the future. Um like I think I think Russell Davies is starting to break that ground too. And you can see that Moffat is definitely interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um and not that Davies isn't but Moffat, I would say that the time travel aspect is maybe his central concern as a writer. That that's the thing which, you know, as we see more of him, is going to continue to be his sort of the thing which interests him the most. Um, but even Davies is going to start to do more stuff like that as well. Um, so, and I, and I think too that the even though the only rule is there are no rules still the line about uh time being you know from uh, yeah i i need the quote because i i can't paraphrase it as well as the doctor can say it um the people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect but actually it's a Nonlinear, or from a nonlinear, not subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff, and that is really, if not the summary of the Doctor Who approach to time travel, it's certainly the summary of the Stephen Moffat approach to time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the Doctor Who approach can be whatever it wants to be on a given week, but certainly from where Moffat is coming from, he really is interested in this idea of cause and effect and of Mm -hmm. things looping back around on themselves and making really, you know, uh, messy Celtic knots rather than strict, you know, lines from A to B. Um, So I think he's kind of, this is him really having the free reign to play with those ideas for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually reminded me of a Robert Heinlein story called All You Zombies, which uh, plays with a number of the same sorts of paradoxical time mm-hmm. ideas. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah. That, well, and, and that wibbly wobbly, timey wimey line it probably has to rank up there with the most quoted. Oh, yeah. Know, yeah, I mean, I've seen like, that. I've seen that on Twitter plenty of times. I yeah, had no idea absolutely. where, yeah. you know, it came from or whatever. Well, and I, I say Twitter. I've seen it in multiple places, but yeah, um, yeah. anyway. No, but uh, that really, that's the kind of, you know, in a nutshell. Doctor Who time travel in a nutshell mm-hmm. is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Yeah, yeah. Big ball. 
Um, and I like, I too, it becomes a little bit of a, it's not just him, but it, the, the timey-wimey detector, the sort of gadget that he cobbles together, um, mm. is a little bit of a 10th Doctor thing. He's going to have a few more, he doesn't always call them timey-wimey detectors, but he always seems to have little, you know, contraptions and dishes that he's using to Yeah, or 3D measure. glasses. Yeah, it's like the 3D glasses, but... This isn't the last time we're going to see a little sort of strung together piece of equipment, which he's used to sort of detect some anomaly or other. So, um, you know, just something that becomes a little bit of a, a, a running thing with him. Cool. It, and it goes ding when there's stuff. So. <laughs> well, that's always good. Yeah. Well. Yeah, good good episode overall, I think. Uh definitely I I enjoyed it. Um any final final thoughts here before uh before we break? Uh let me see. Do we have anything else? Um I mean the only thing really to say about Martha, um is that and, and it's a very small thing. I don't even know how much to read into it. But again, you know, she says, you know, we're stuck. All of time and space he promised me. Now I've got a job in a shop. I've got to support him. So again, you've got Martha <laughs> sort of taking care of the doctor in their latest predicament, where again yeah. they're stuck somewhere for a couple months, it seems, you know, mm. or, or weeks or whatever, long enough for her to get a job. And support them in the meantime so i mean it's it's a little bit of a throwaway like it's a joke i don't know how much to take to read into that but i think that is playing with this martha theme of uh supporting the doctor let's say Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i didn't pick up on that so that's good (laughs) to point out I don't know that I really would have, except that every week it seems we're talking about how Martha's taking care of the doctor. So now yeah, it's jumping well, out and, to me a lot more than it used to. Right, that she's taking care of the doctor and that, well, I mean, the relationship is still very different than what he had with Rose. And not that you would expect it ever to be exactly right. the same, but we've seen Martha's consternation that there isn't more affection from the doctor. Right. Uh, so it seems to be along those same lines. So I, I think even though we don't get to see, like if it's, if it's doctor light, it's Martha super light, you know? Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that in the very little we see of her, we're getting that same thing that we've been picking up on all along. I, I would find it hard to believe that that's, coincidental or completely inc- mm-hmm. incidental anyway um yeah no i think if if we're comparing this to love and monsters i think the doctor's more integral to this story than he was in love and monsters but martha is less than rose was to that story you know because even at the end there i mean love and monsters was so much about jackie you know it it really yeah. Was incidentally about Rose's family. And then at the end, you get her coming in and telling Elton off, you know, and right. having to sort of, you know, comfort him, you know, in his loss at the end and everything. Whereas 
yeah, Martha, um, you don't get any of that with her here. She's really the generic companion. She could really be any companion here. It's not. Yeah, yeah. Her Martha-ness isn't central to anything. She's just the girl who is with the doctor and telling him, come on, hurry up. We're, we have our bows and arrows. The, the migration started. Come on, we have to go. <laughs> and they have to go do something with four things and a lizard, apparently. So, you know, her role is more to kind of be the companion with a capital C and snark at him and tell him to hurry up. Um, we get less of a sense of Martha's character than we did with Rose, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, part of that might be differences in their stories and in their characters. Part of it, I just want to write that off as, well, that just wasn't... Uh, I mean, Love and Monsters was really working up to Rose's exit in the show, you know? Like, it would have been tough to completely cast her aside that late in season two. Whereas, with this, I feel like Moffat's not... That, that's not what this episode is about. It's not about right. building up to any... Certainly Martha's role, this isn't contributing to Martha's story in that same way. This is more... He wants to tell a story about Sally and what's going on with her and her relationship to the doctor. Right. Yeah, no. And, and I, well, and we've said a number of times about how everything seems to be coming up Sally, right? It's, it's, (laughs) it's, uh, it all sort of revolves around her plot, but, but I think it's, you know, also about the time stuff, right? It's about the myth- mythology of time travel. So it's yeah, not even really about the doctor either, right? Like you can't even like the stuff that the doctor says is, is all about the time travel. It's not even really about him, although yes. you can sort of apply it to him, but yeah. Yeah. No, I um, think you're right. Anyway. So good stuff. I, so I guess I know going forward what well, we already talked about. So we know, I know that they're the angels come back again at some point, mm-hmm. um, whether they're other, you know, members of the same tribe or these actual ones somehow avoid their plight um, in some way. <laughs> Not really sure how that works out, but that's cool. We'll, we'll see it when we get there. Um, but I guess I know uh, we're coming up on sort of the, the lead up to the end here of the season, right? We, we've got yeah. like a... Yeah, the the last three are really a three-part finale. Now, I don't think they're... I would say rather than like human nature and the family of blood, which are clearly parts one and two of mm-hmm. one story, I would say that these three are more like becoming part one and becoming part two in the sense that even though it's the same narrative, you, they have different, like the way that Becoming Part One used a flashback and voiceover narration. And then Part Two didn't really do that. It kind of had its own story to tell. Mm-hmm. That's more like what these three are like. It's not really parts one, two, and three of an episode. It's three separate episodes, which are linked 
thematically or narratively. Yeah, so I don't think you're, even though there will be cliffhangers involved, it's it's not going to be, you're going to have more of a sense of separation between the episodes, that they really are their own individual stories, I think. Um, Certainly, the next one is more of a standalone, even though it kind of leads into the, the next two. Very cool. Well, since we're giving away previews of upcoming episodes, I will just note that um, this next Buffy episode that we're talking about uh, next week, Homecoming, is um, the first of two episodes that I discuss in the paper that I wrote last year for the Joss and June conference. Oh, right. Um, So I don't know what interest that has. Uh, There is a cabin in a woods, which is what my paper was on. Uh, exploring cabins in the Weedonverse woods and uh, overall like from a story perspective um, I think an interesting focal point um, you know for the story but there's plenty of other things so I don't even though I wrote a paper on it I don't want to pretend that that's the only thing that happens (laughs) uh, even though I might be uh, tempted to talk about its significance ad nauseum so um well, we do want to talk about it at least some, I think. Oh, yes, we will definitely talk about it. But but there are a, a number of interesting things that happen in this next episode. So with that tantalizing tidbit, I think we should probably let our listeners start listening to something else. Um, <laughs> at least for another week or so. So until uh, we talk to you again, thank you for all for listening. See you then. Thank you.